0: Well, this morning, I'd ask you to turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 6 to 21. That is not our only text for this morning's message, but it is the biggest part of it. And I'm going to ask you to stand. It's going to take a little bit to read through this, but I will try to go fairly quickly. Uh, the Deuteronomy chapter 5. Verses 6 to 21. And the first first verse that we will read this morning is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's our key verse for our series, that is the love letters from God. And it is as we go through the Bible that we are exploring how it is that we can see the love God has for the world in every single book of the Bible. So our text from Deuteronomy chapter five, verses six to 21. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall not misuse the name of the lord your god for the lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name observe the sabbath day by keeping it holy as the lord your god has commanded you six days you shall labor and do all your work but the seventh day is a sabbath to the lord your god on it you shall not do any work neither you nor your son or daughter nor your male or female servant nor your ox your donkey or any of your animals nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you, so that you may live long and that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You you shall not set your desire on your neighbor's house or land, his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Let us pray. Hide me behind your cross, Lord. May my words be your heart to your people. You have told us you love us. Help us to know your love and live it every day of our lives. Amen. You may be seated. So we start today in the fifth book of the Bible, Deuteronomy, and as we get ready to go into Deuteronomy, it seems appropriate to do a quick recap of where we've been so far. Deuteronomy actually means the second law, which is not to say that there was a second law that was given, but it is the second time we're going to hear the law because this is a speech that Moses gives to the children of Israel just before they're getting ready to cross over the Jordan and begin the work of taking over the promised land. The land that was promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob the patriarchs to whom these homeless, for now, people in the desert between Egypt and Canaan belonged to. So we go back to the beginning. In Genesis, we were created and we fell, but God promised this land to Abraham, along with descendants for him and his barren wife that would number more than they could count. God continued that promise through Isaac and then Jacob, also known as Israel. Jacob's son Joseph wound up in Egypt by nefarious things. His brothers sold him out of jealousy um, to the Egyptians. I don't recommend that as a practice, by the way, Brandon. It's not a good choice. Don't sell your brothers. Doesn't work out well. Joseph eventually, after false accusations in prison, reunited with his brothers and rescued them from famine by bringing them all to Egypt. In Exodus, 400 years later, Moses was born into a nation that had become pretty large and was enslaved to the Egyptians. Moses had some missteps of his own, but he ultimately led the children of Israel out of Egypt, across the Red Sea on dry land, and then to the foot of Mount Sinai. There, the people received the law. There, the people rebelled for the first time by forming a golden calf and worshiping it. In Leviticus, we read the full text of the law and its purpose for setting apart the children of Israel as holy, people who love God and love their neighbor. Eventually, as we read in Numbers last week, the people arrived at the Jordan for the first time. They sent spies. The spies, except for two of them, said that while the land was plentiful, it was also dangerous, and the majority won the argument. So God withheld the promise for the children of Israel for 40 years while they wandered in the desert. And that is where we find the children of Israel now. Forty years after the first spies were sent in, they have arrived back at the edge of the Jordan, And this is Deuteronomy's purpose, to remind these people where they come from, where they have been. All of them were young children the first time they got to the Jordan. So they need to hear what it means to be a people of God. And they need to hear it because when they get across the Jordan River, they will find people who worship other gods, multiple gods, who worship those gods in various places and at various times, who worship those gods in ways that don't work very well. Moses, who was originally supposed to be going with them across the jordan has also disobeyed god and he has been refused entry to the promised land he's gone up on a mountain and though 120 years old at this point he has seen the land that was promised and moses needs to remind the people of all that has happened and what they can expect if they disobey going forward, because that is the crux of the promises of God. Obedience to God's law draws us closer to God and puts us in the seat of blessing. The closer we live to what God has called us to do and be, the more God blesses us as a whole by drawing closer to us. But the Israelites, they are going to live in disobedience and rebellion. (laughs) A lot. We're going to read a lot about that in the coming weeks as we continue to go through the Old Testament. And God has told them that when you disobey, when you rebel against me, I'm going to step back. I'm going to still love you. But things are not going to go as well for you when you put yourself in this position. You see, God always gives us choices. God always lets us make the wrong one and always has grace enough to welcome us back if we choose God again. Interestingly, the story that we read from uh, 2 Samuel this morning is one about such a disobedience and rebellion. It actually starts when Saul loses the Ark of the Covenant. Now the Ark of the Covenant, uh, if you've watched the Indiana Jones movies, you maybe have some idea of what this is, but really it's the physical representation of God's presence in Israel. And in the Ark of the Covenant, are the very words that we read today. Those 10 commandments are in, that, in this box, basically. And Saul, the prior king of Israel before David, had lost it. It had gone to the Philistines. And the Philistines were not actually, as it turned out, all that glad to have it <laughs> because it brought them lots of misfortune because God's present wasn't where it was supposed to be. So David is finally able to get it back, heading towards the place where it needs to be. So he's bringing it back to the town where he actually rules from at this point. And as he's bringing it back, he strips down to his underwear and starts dancing in front of it. And this is where his wife is like, okay, stop it. That's not cool. Right? And David says, if I'm going to dance for anything, I'm going to dance for the return of the presence of God and the return of the law that we are supposed to follow. So it is that David gets the law back to where it belongs. But at this moment, God is telling the Israelites, I know you're going to screw this up, but before you do, I'm warning you now, don't. Because it will always be better for you if you follow the law. This morning, driving into church, I messed up. Um, I drive in from Georgetown Road and then I usually turn, uh, St. George, whatever whatever the road is, It's 5,000, whatever that road is, I come in, I go to the second stop sign and I turn and then I come up on Cemetery Road, right? But this morning, I was on the phone with a friend of mine as I was driving in, and I turned at the little road right before, right after the Walmart, where the first stop sign is, because I wasn't thinking. So then, when I turned onto the other road, um, the speed limit there is ridiculous, um, and. Of course, I wasn't paying too much attention right up until I drove past the police officer who then pulled out and turned on his flashers. And, um, yeah. So I screwed up. I should have gotten a ticket. (laughs) I was entitled to a ticket but I got a warning. And that's grace, and that's what God does over and over for the Israelites as they make their way across the Jordan and into the promised land. And we're going to see that over and over as we read through this. This is the way God shows his love. They screw up, he draws them back. They screw up, he draws them back. They eventually get exiled and they lose their status as a nation even at different points in time. But every single time, God has a way back for them until finally, it's Jesus. But the reason God gave them this whole speech in Deuteronomy, and if you read Deuteronomy, it sounds a lot like some of the other books that we've already gone through. But Deuteronomy is basically a, a recap of what they know of the law, and it's given back to them. And it was to remind them of their promise to obey God at Mount Sinai, and to give them another opportunity to hear the whole thing as a people, to warn them. This morning's warning for me wasn't the first one I've gotten in recent months. Um, This may be why my husband was collapsing in his pew as I told that story. Uh, but <clears throat> a couple weeks ago, um, I was speeding on 2nd Street in front of the school. And, uh, and actually, if it had been uh, like 15 minutes earlier, it would have still been a school zone and I probably would have gone to jail because <laughs> I was a lot speeding. But because um, uh, I forgot, never mind. <laughs> um, but I got a warning that time as well instead of the ticket that I really deserved. And again, this morning, I messed up again, and I will try harder not to do it going forward. But I forget to think about speed when I'm driving or I think I won't get caught. But the truth is, at some point, I'm going to actually get the ticket I deserve if I keep speeding. And I won't have any excuse about why I got it. I will have deserved it. I've gotten plenty of warnings, that's for sure. And the children of Israel are the same. They're getting this warning. They will get others. But still, they were going to mess it up, and they were going to get it wrong. Mm -hmm. Even with the warnings, they were going to rebel. And, you, you know, a lot of people look at the Ten Commandments, which we read this morning, and they see them as a cage, a, a thing to hold them captive, a restriction from doing fun things. But the reality is they're a guardrail. They keep you from going off the edge. Because God's judgment for us isn't just about being committed to God. It isn't just about eternal stakes. But it is about avoiding some of the consequences for bad choices. It's about what happens to us and in us when we make those choices. When I speed, I don't just risk a ticket. I risk an accident. I risk hurting other people. That's why those rules are there. And when we violate God's law, we risk all kinds of things. So the rules talk about putting God first, about worshiping God appropriately, and then taking that and not hurting other people. Like I said before, God knew the Israelites were going into a land where idol worship was devastating and horrible. They sacrificed children in fire to their gods. Worship involved rituals that defiled bodies and hurt people. And God knew that these practices were not just disrespectful to him. They weren't just disrespectful to God but that they held the power to ruin the children of Israel as a nation of people who stood apart from the rest of the world and lived in a way that was kinder and gentler than those around them. are the rules again. You shall have no other gods before me. Worship God alone. You should not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. Don't carve an image for God. God doesn't have a form that we can wrap our heads around. Don't misuse the name of God. Don't say you're doing something in the name of God that violates God's laws. Observe the Sabbath day. Let yourself rest. Take a break. Honor your father and your mother. Paul tells us that this is the first commandment with a promise. When you honor your father and your mother, the Lord promises that you may live long And it may go well with you in the land your Lord is giving you. You live longer if you obey your parents and respect them. Then things turn from the immediate people around us and ourselves to the people around us. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. And you shall not covet what your neighbor has. All of those things not only protect us from horrible things, but they protect the people around us. When we talked about the law in Leviticus, we talked about how God's law is always vertical first. It always puts us in right position with God before anything else can happen. We have to be worshiping God first. It has to be vertical. And then, when that part's right, it can go out. It can become horizontal. God's protection for us against consequences includes caring about what happens to other people because of our relationship with God. And all of scripture reminds us over and over that when we are in right relationship with God, everything we do reflects that. And that is what God is reminding the Israelites of in Deuteronomy. Before they even enter the land, They will eventually conquer it. They will eventually become a nation. They will eventually have kings and queens. And then they will continue. They will be disobedient. They will forget God's law. They will mess up. They will rebel. They will be conquered. Because God knew they weren't going to make it. And God knows we can't make it. But that is why we have our key verse, the verse that our whole series hangs on. God's love for us, his desire that we do make it, that we do get there in obedience and love, was revealed to us in Jesus Christ and set out for us in the shape of a cross. We love because God loved us. And when we surrender to Jesus, when we live in the shadow of that cross, when we celebrate the gift of Jesus, we are embracing the law that God gave to give us life. The commandments that turn us toward God, and then align us with God's heart by turning us toward each other. As we've been doing every week in this series, I will now remind you of what it looks like to say that the love of God is found in every page of Scripture. What does it mean to say God loves? God loved us enough to create us, to form us from the dust. God loved us enough to let us fail, to let us choose our own way over God's to let us chain ourselves to sin and defeat and heartbreak and sorrow and death. God loved us enough to provide a rescue, a way back through wanderers, murderers, adulterers, defaulters, promise breakers, foreigners, strangers and lovers. God loved us enough to show us mothers and judges and kings and prophets who loved and spoke for God and kept reminding us of the promise of redemption. God loved us enough to show us how evil and wrong continually mess things up and how obedience to God fosters holiness and bestows blessing. God loved us enough to send us Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, to preach and live peace, grace, hope, joy, and love. God loved us enough to see Jesus rejected, to see him die, to see him buried. God loved us enough to raise Jesus from the dead and send the Holy Spirit to remind us of all we have in him and to empower us to live like him. God loved us enough to want us to live like Jesus, an abundant life infused with all the fruit of the spirit, redeemed, free, loved. God loved us enough to still let us choose our destiny. God loved us enough to promise the hope of forever of resurrection from the dead and judgment. God loved us enough. God loves us enough. God will always love us enough. For God so loved the world. God loves you. God wants you to know it. God wants you to live in it. God wants you to be able to love others because you know you are loved. God's love is expressed to us every week, most tangibly, as we gather at this table. The son who died and yet lives gave everything so we could know the depth of God's love. So come, drink the wine, eat the bread. No, you, are loved God loves you go love the world with him